Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. I'm Tom, just one part of the triumvirate with my friends Josh and Gabe. You know, as I've been working at home for the last week and nothing to do at nights and weekends, thanks Corona, you would think I could have come up with a better intro. I mean, my last intro, you know, the thing I did with the Michael Jackson songs, was fairly epic and I may have used up my creative genius and now I'm just scraping the bottom of the barrel. And to be honest, this is part two of a two-part series, question mark? So we are basically just continuing the conversation. I know many of you get very excited to see my sparkle and wit on full display with these intros. But if you've been listening for long enough, you know this sort of thing kind of happens about every 10 episodes. So I just don't have anything today. So let's just get into it. Hey, scraping the bottom of the barrel, it doesn't sound like that would always be a bad thing necessarily. I mean, if it's the bottom of the whiskey barrel or... The bottom of the flower barrel, it's not going to be anything bad. So, like, what what is the negative implication of scraping the bottom of the barrel? Actually, you brought up the whiskey barrel, and that's really interesting because usually when you, when you make beer, or uh, I think it happens with spirits too, you have this sludge at the bottom. Yes, it's called shroob. Yeah, and it's disgusting. And so that uh, would be it's the also the source of, the of life for your next batch of beer because it holds the yeast, Tom. You know what? Enough of this. Enough of this. I'm this... even going to beat you to the punch. Guess what I'm drinking? Not whiskey, rum. And Woo! the re- yep, the reason I picked up some Appleton Estate signature blend rum is just as an homage to all those college students partying in the Caribbean going to kill us all. Cheers to you, COVID-19 Cheers. and you spring breakers. Mhm. So uh for me today, I'm uh, drinking some rum myself. It is the Kraken Black Spiced Rum. And I have to tell you all, this bottle uh, is reminiscent of First Kings 17 and the Widow of Zarephath, uh, where the prophet Elijah goes to visit her, and she only has a little bit of oil, uh, but she makes him a cake. And the oil never runs out uh, for either him or her and her son. Uh, and it just continually replenishes. This bottle refuses to run out. I've been at the, the, the dregs of it, the bottom of the barrel, if you will. And it continues to satisfy. Um, so cheers to the Kraken, my friends. Wow. Yeah, Tom, what do you got? I'm drinking tea. What kind of tea, Tom? That. It's a spice chai something or other. It's all right. I mean, it's tea. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay. Well, I friends, can't get today... more excited than that. I know. <laughs> it, really... it literally wasn't exciting. So it mission is, accomplished. It's... It's hard to get up for tea, you know, um, right? There's a reason we threw it into the ocean, buddy. All right. Uh, so at any rate, uh, friends, we are uh, are blessed to uh, to be joined by a guest. Uh, this is a, a longtime listener, uh, often texter in her uh, friend to to all, uh, but uh, actual friend to Josh and I from our seminary days. Uh, Dej is with us. Uh, David Edge, known as Dej. Uh, he is um, 
I have a special affinity for my friend Dave because in seminary, I, I some of you may be able to tell from our previous episodes, but uh, as a Lutheran pastor, uh, not all Lutheran pastors share a soft spot for American evangelicalism, but I do. And Dedge did. I don't know if he still does, but uh, but at least back in the day, he's gotten more Lutheran. But I was uh, say that look it, on his face may have yeah, that look on his face. I, I maybe embarrassed him, but at least back in <laughs> seminary, uh, you know, he and I would talk about Rob Bell and Francis Chan and Chris C and and uh, the contemporary music and things like that. And uh, and so I've I've always had a, a soft spot in my heart for Dedge because he made me feel like I wasn't alone in seminary, uh, and now he's out pastoring it up in uh the beautiful uh i guess is it northern minnesota no uh, well it's uh yeah the district is uh northern minnesota but we're uh central minnesota Don't oh, central know. minnesota yeah, okay up here okay in minnesota but Dedge, welcome to pint glass preachers man thank welcome you Dedge. i gotta say this is this is really like a dream of mine you know this is I, wow. i'm just so happy to be here you need you know, bigger dreams Dedge. Yeah, yes no Dedge, well well no 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 okay so like my dream really was to meet neil perk the drummer of rush but mm -hmm. but he died so he yeah so this is this is kind of it you know there's, there's there's nothing left oh man <laughs> no, wow no. no pressure on this episode yeah man, and uh you know gabe yeah i, I remember so gabe and I, you know, we, we live next to each other and, you know, he would uh, bump yep. for my like computer yep. printer. So it was on Wi-Fi back when that was like kind of a new thing. And uh, we shared a lot of things. We shared like, you know, communal bathroom, 12 other guys. So yeah, Gabe and I, very close. Very close. Mm -hmm. Intimate. So yeah. And uh, what I'm drinking now, hold on, hold on. See, I'm drinking right now some Earl Grey tea. In fact, from uh, this company, Bigelow. So that's how <laughs> awesome I'm doing it right now. You know, see, Tom is just like, it's just tea, ginger, spice. No, no, no. This this is Earl Grey. I mean, he can't get much better than this. The King's Tea. The King. That Gabe the threw only, in a boat. Yeah. Gabe throws you under the bus in your introduction, and then he throws yeah. out your tea into the yeah. sea. Poor I'm an American. Yeah. I refuse to apologize for being an American. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This is America. Well, the problem with tea. Okay, I love it, but it's well, like we've this... already gone too far on this. Yeah. Let's move it along. Well, I'm just saying that there's only like three minutes that you can drink it because you know it's really hot and then it just gets kind of stale, you know. So yep. you only have like a window and you don't really have very much time. So I just don't know. Like I like it, but now it's actually kind of too late. It's yeah. just bad. It's just wow. bad. Man, yeah, it's true. Well, Dej, we're glad to have you here, man. Um, and the reason Dej is here, for those that are wondering, is uh, we take our text in questions quite seriously. So first of all, thank you to all of you who text in. Uh, we seriously appreciate it. We love being able to respond and interact with you. That's right. So if you have any more, please send them in 612-208-6258. We'd love to respond and interact with you. Uh, and if you send us like, I don't know, Dej, how many did you send us? Four or five in a row? Um, yeah. Yeah. We will then have you on the show. And uh, and discuss things with you, uh, but well, really I think I think the difference was this is like the only text message I've sent recently that I didn't make fun of Tom. So I think <laughs> this just really brought it up to the algorithm. So it yeah, really uh, so it's a suggestion yeah. for future text. We just too. yeah, we just ignore everything else. Yeah, yeah, right. And listen, yeah. guys, yeah. the algorithm that I put in place to protect <laughs> your text messages coming into Pine Class Preachers is so robust i i just can't even explain it your brains would explode yeah yeah it's true but dej did send us a bunch of questions about our previous episode in which we discussed kind of separating art from the artist uh kind of the prime example we at least started with was uh r kelly and of course the fact that he's 
convicted of some horrific crimes. And so uh, do I get to listen to Remix Ignition anymore? And, uh, and so we discussed that uh, at length and uh, Dej had some really provocative questions and thoughts. And so we thought it'd be great to bring him in uh, and to share those with all of you and to, to wrestle with that uh, together uh, with our boy Dej this evening. So the text that I sent them, besides uh, talking bad about Tom, uh, I just fast forward through that. Get through that. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed the Hashtag. podcast this week. Uh, when y'all were talking about Nazis, I remembered Werner von Braun, who was the head of NASA in its early days. Von Braun was the Nazi who helped develop the V-2 missile for Hitler. While it's true that the V-2 missiles never really amounted in too many casualties because the war was over before the missile was perfected, it is true that those who made the missiles were under slave labor and many workers died in the process. Von, von Braun's explanation is that he was not a Nazi and he never wanted to create weapons of war, but Hitler forced the rocket scientists to develop the missiles. I, I believe von Braun, and in fact, this shows that life is more interesting and more complicated than many today make it out to be. Today, many view history through our modern lens, and we feel morally superior to others in the past who were products of their time. And even if they rose above it, it's still easy to write them off. This is arrogant and oversimplistic. And I fear that cancel culture is erasing the struggle that many artists, politicians, and so forth have made because they are not, by modern standards, ethical. We cannot help but see history through a lens, and of course, we should acknowledge the depravity of others, but I think there is something more cynical at work here. Rather than engaging with ideas and figures in the past, I fear that uh, many today want to erase them from history because they do not fit within 21st century morality. For instance, rather than engage someone like Thomas Jefferson and his ideas, it's easy to dismiss him because he has slaves. The end result is... Uh, the end result in this view of history means that we can dismiss virtually any person in history up until 10 years ago, which functionally means that we can rewrite history to fit our own agenda. Uh, postscript. So I said uh, postscript and not PS. So just so you know, uh, postscript. <laughs> We're very impressed. Thank you. I do find it fascinating that while the depravity of previous uh, figures in history has created a shadow over their legacy, I don't see it consistently applied. For example, we have college students wearing Che Guevara shirts, and I doubt that many know of his actions of rounding up and killing homosexuals. Uh, of, or this is even true for Martin Luther King Jr., as his legacy might be a little clouded now that since some um, FBI and CIA CIA files have come to light in recent years. Suffice it to say that morally he uh, possibly was not a good person, but I like his ideas. So I suppose this brings us back to the main point. Can we engage with and revere someone like Martin Luther King Jr. who had good ideas, but his personal life did not live up to his values? So that was really long. It didn't feel that long when I wrote it, but uh, reading it, it does kind of take a while. So that's my text message. What Thanks. do you say? <laughs> uh, well, what say you, sir? What does it say? That's just like kind of like throwing a pipe bomb into the middle of this recording. Thanks, Dej. Yeah, yeah. None of us want to hold it. We're like, ah. Let's uh, let's take issue with the first thing. Uh, you use the term depravity, which I believe is a reformed theological category and not a Lutheran one. So I think oh, it's not necessarily total depravity, but oh, okay, okay, okay. sinfulness. Yeah, sure. Okay, mm -hmm. sinful yeah. nature, please. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so now that we've covered that, um, let's uh, let's move into uh, to what you actually said. So I think let's let's maybe start um, with your boy at NASA. If if I think that's maybe a helpful place for us to start, and and I think this will lead to some really interesting conversations. So so your boy at NASA, like a quick summary of that, if I can just get it for the the layman, uh, which would be me in this instance, because uh, I don't I don't know about this guy. So what was his name again? Von Braun. Yeah, uh, Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun. Okay, so he worked for the Nazis, uh, creating missile, and but he's like, "Yo, I had to do it, and Hitler made me do it." And and then it's like all of a sudden he's running NASA. Uh, yeah, and actually, um, I said when he's head of NASA, I, I suppose, um, yeah, that wasn't exactly correct. What he was, he was the in charge of the actual like missile launch you know, portion. So he wasn't like a politician in NASA. He was, uh, it, it was basically, I guess you can consider uh, like the head rocket scientist of NASA, very influential. And because of him, you know, we were able to have the uh, the, the NASA uh, space program in the 1960s and moving forward. So just okay. actually, just to clarify, because I, and this may or may not help, if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't like Hitler made me do it and I was scared for my life. So I just made it he cut a deal and just said, Hey, I'll come help you build rockets. If you decide, if you don't, you know, try me for war crimes for war crimes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. So to kind of back up a little bit that he, uh, I mean, anybody who's going to be influential like that in Germany in the 1930s and forties, you have to be a member of the Nazi party, which he was. And, you know, for him, as well as, you know, hundreds and thousands of other rocket scientists or any scientist uh, that they were all uh, used for, uh, they, they were used for Hitler's uh, war efforts. And so his part was to uh, design these missiles. And then Interestingly, once the war was over, is that these uh, missiles, uh, so these V-2 rockets, I mean, some of them landed over in England, but they didn't really do a whole lot of damage. Very few people were killed. But as mentioned earlier, that they did have, you know, basically uh, slave labor. So it was like uh, people in the Holocaust uh, were the ones who were making this and conditions were really bad for them making it. But uh, for him, uh, when the war was over, you know, that uh, the allies uh, tried to figure out, okay, like who are the real, you know, who are the ones who really are responsible and who were others who just got swept up into this. But it became more interesting even between the U the United States and uh, Soviet Russia because uh, they were fighting over these rocket scientists. And so I think it was Operation Paperclip was the name of it. But basically Americans came in uh, preemptively before they were supposed to and just grabbed all these rocket scientists and we took them over to our shores and we just said there, you know, uh, because we knew that uh, you know, USSR wanted to start their nuclear program and, and then they beat us to the space program at first. And so anyway, all this is to, uh, it, it kind of makes things uh, interesting because not simply of, uh, you know, post-World War II with his involvement with uh, Hitler, but even if he was to be used over in the USSR, you know, uh, it, it could be that, uh, you know, that they could have deployed uh nuclear missiles, you know, at a certain point or earlier. And so more people could have died. So it's more justifiable that he's with us. And then, of course, it raises the ethical question. And I remember seeing some, you know, documentary on this and people were saying, you know, like homeboy, basically, he lived a very, you know, posh life. He lived 
as, you know, very respected in the United States. And he died in 1977, you know, at whatever age, he just died naturally. And, you know, yet he could be considered someone uh, who would be responsible for war crimes. And so uh, the question is, is kind of like from a utilitarian perspective, are we, are we to write off his, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some of the things that he's culpable of because of his effort uh, for the United States and getting the getting our space program, which was also really, you know, kind of uh, symbolic and, and driving uh, the difference between the USSR uh, and the United States. So he really saved a lot of lives. And I think he really built up our space program. So America would be a lot worse without him. But do we just let him live? Uh, or what can we do? So I guess that is kind of, a, you know, something that I think of. It's, it's pretty complicated. So yeah, you can say he's a Nazi, but you know that there's more to it. Wait, so can I just to clarify and break this down into some smaller bite-sized chunks. Von Braun is a Nazi, full-blown, tried and true, right? Like he's bought in in order to do this. Then after the war, in an attempt to essentially save his butt from prosecution, he's like, "Hey, I'll come work for you." And so then both the USSR and the allies vis-a-vis -vis America in this particular case, they're the ones, to the point of our entire conversation, are basically like, eh, we know you were a pretty horrible human being, but we really want to get to the moon first, so come work for us and we'll give you amnesty. So it's not yeah, even it's just okay. like a black and white conversation in terms of does his previous fascism and Nazism, like undermine or cancel out i like how you use the term cancel culture very very well done dead but does his fascism cancel out his um you know uh his contributions to the space achievements with nasa and the states but the extra layer for me in listening to you if i understood you correct is that there was actually a very uh selfish motive in the united states even making the offer in the first place Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that uh, it was a race between the USSR and the Americans of uh, who are going to get these, uh, who are, who, who's going to get these scientists because Nazi Germany was also working on a nuclear bomb. And so this is well known. And so basically the United States in this case won, you know, we were able to get most of the guys that we wanted for it. Yeah. And so I'm glad, I'm glad I understood you right. Because I feel like what perhaps uh, a facet of what was missing in our conversation last time, which is now kind of bubbled up is this idea of the the additional layers, particularly for the end user, right? The end user for Von Braun and NASA was like the United States space program. The end user for Gabe and R. Kelly is himself in terms of <laughs> remix ignition, right? And so like, how do we weigh the the benefits or the drawbacks, you know, the, the positive versus negative impact of the end user's point of view, perspective, value on you know, the, the humanity, the morality, you know, the mistakes, failures, whatever you want to depravity, whatever you want to call it, uh, by the individual artist or scientist or politician or whoever, or religious leader or whoever. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we got our history lesson. That was very helpful. Thank you, Dutch. Um, I'm no historian. I have no idea why I'm on to talk about history when it's not well, something that I know much about. I think I know why. Because so, you're, you're, you're a Houstonian, right? Well, okay, now you got me. That's uh, true. Yeah. Okay. So, so Dudge is yeah. from Houston. So NASA right. is going to be a little bit of a sweet spot for you. Yeah. Well, the uh yeah, I think uh the, the first word uttered on the moon was Houston, you know, and hey. that's the city I was born in. So, you know how everyone like brags about like their hometown, 
Well, mine was the name was the first word mentioned on the men. So uh, beat that, you know, Wausau, Wisconsin, or wherever you're from, <laughs> Sheboygan, <laughs> California. You hey, beat the bay. Hey, that's true. OC. Okay. So, all right. Go on, Tom. Well, so we, we've kind of bridged last episode of this episode with another Nazi example where I think we're all pretty much on board with Nazism, bad. Um, and and then here we have this example of America saying, well, but but here's some good here's some things that we need out of it. And we're going to we're going to look the other way. And we've got this idea of what what's the how much good is how much good outweighs bad. You know, you brought up Martin Luther King. You know, we, we got you know, we got some unsavory things in his past, but the totality of what he did, what he accomplished what his ideas were about were absolutely you know so much bigger than an indiscretion here or there not to put it too lightly but so where to me the question is where where is that line like what are we apparently we're willing to we're we're willing to to be okay with a nazi background as long as it advances our our causes well, I actually right. think that that yeah. in, in some ways is symptomatic of just American culture in a variety of ways. You know what I mean? Like, and, and like, oh, you know, all the statues and like the Confederate monuments and stuff like that. Right. Like think yeah. about how hard it is for us to just say, oh, yeah, let's acknowledge the duplicity of these monuments and just destroy them. Right. And like how hard fought, you know, people are, are engaging in this in this argument over whether to keep them or not. Like to me, it's just like a microcosm of that. Right. We're like. Oh, you sort of participated in the killings of millions of people, but it really serves our self-interest. So we're we're sort of yeah. down to move on and forget. I mean, like I think there are many examples of that in American history. At least, it may, maybe it is an American thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a human thing. I'm not. In, I'm not entirely sure. But it is interesting that we have you know sort of like that many examples in our own short history as a country. Well, I do think you know. Like Josh, you bring up an interesting point with the Americans in particular, because actually, like when you mentioned, like, oh, so America just like it was like out of selfishness that America grabbed this guy first. Like in one sense, you could frame it that way. In another sense, like I don't know, I think the Soviet Union was pretty bad, and so for us to like try and uh, quote unquote beat them in the race to the moon, let's say, or or to just on the global stage. I think it's probably good. And, and so, you, oh, you know what I mean? Oh, you're so, that's so, I, I'm really, I mean, I, I, I don't, I just, the, this, the cynic in me really questions the, the altruistic motive of, uh, you know, like, uh, it's just, we're saving everyone from the Soviets. Like, come on, man. Like we wanted to get to the moon first. Like, it, I, I don't think the conversations were, I, well, actually I shouldn't say that. I guess, if, though, I guess like, if they're having conversations of like, if we let this guy go, we're going to get nuked, then that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Right. Like, but I wouldn't saving, necessarily that is like potentially a, a, saving human lives. Yeah. I'm, I that, mean, that's that, still too positive. I think it's more like self-preservation. Like we don't want to get nuked uh, here. In yeah, saving DC. American lives, but those are still human lives, sure. you know, like, yes. Yes. so, so to me, it's like, yeah, you're right. It is a particular people that is defending themselves, but if they don't, is it, is it possible that if, if, you know, our boy, what's his name? Von Baron. I can't, I can't remember his name. Von Braun. Von Braun. Yeah. If, you know, if he ends up with the Soviets, are we all dead? Right. Or do we all not exist now? Like, 
I don't know. And so maybe I'm glad that we we snagged him because it preserved a bunch of human lives. Dude, hey, before we I actually have I was reading some Howard Thurman uh, since we brought up MLK. He was kind of a precursor as one does to to MLK. Um, and he actually wrote it was this really great quote um, where he oh, I'm going to try to find it. But basically, he talks about how during war times, like hatred is not only justified, but engendered in order to essentially transition the mind of someone who like could not see the taking of other human life is actually awful into, you know, uh, turning the other person an enemy, which essentially eliminates or undermines any moral compass or moral system of values that they previously operated under. And I, and I, I wonder if that's the same type of thing, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, yeah. Hey, we're, we're in a time of war coming out of it. The Nazi thing was bad, but like we hate the USSR now. So in the shift from hate Germany and the Nazi regime into hate USSR, uh, you know, perhaps it was using that to sort of like undermine a, an otherwise, you know, stable or even reasonable kind of framework. So there, there's an, an interesting little twist that we're taking here, and I'm not sure it gets us to where we want to be here, but the whole last episode was about things that were pretty um, – I can't even think of the right word right now. It's music, it's art, it's architecture. Like we're not talking about, about the outcome impacting mass murder and, you know, human lives yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. that nature. Right. I mean, yep. let me back up and be very clear. The things that R. Kelly and Michael Jackson did have certainly impacted people's lives, but me listening to that music does not, does not mean that X number of people will die or, or, or whatever. Right. Right. This scale is different. The, the, the scale, scale is different here, right? With this, um, Gabe, in our in all of our prep for this show, um, you had brought up an example of of a philosopher. So I, I'd love to hear that example a little bit because I think that's a, a little bit more of a happy medium. But also, also yeah, Nazis. I mean, and again, I guess we we can't escape the Nazis. But uh, so the, the philosopher in in question here is uh, Martin Heidegger, who is you know, possibly the greatest philosopher of the 20th century. I mean, depends on who you ask, but just a brilliant guy. I literally last week wrote a paper on him on his book, Being in Time. Um, and at any rate, like he's, I mean, just this brilliant philosophical mind. And at the same time, supported Nazism, supported fascism. He was around uh, in in Germany in the, the late 30s and the 40s and, and full-blown supporter of Nazism was, was all in on it. And so it's a big debate in philosophic circles as to whether or not we should even read Heidegger, whether or not we should even use him and use his ideas. And, and so it's, and, and I don't know, I mean, and, and I'll say this, like I was like, I was taught Heidegger. I, I am being taught Heidegger right now by a Jewish woman. Uh, and so like, it's, it's a weird thing to, to say like, boy, what is, what does that mean? Like, is, is it okay for us to read this guy to use his ideas that aren't necessarily like his ideas aren't necessarily tied to fascism. They aren't necessarily tied to Nazism. And yet he as a person lent himself into that. And so how much should we study him and how many of his ideas should we import? Uh, would it lead us to the same conclusions he landed on? Yeah. You know, when we were talking about this, I kind of said like, well, okay, it's still in this realm of philosophy and you know, how much impact is that really going to have? And, you know, 
what if this was something that was more concrete and we 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 actually kind of brought up the 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 von braun thing but then i was like well what if what if the the you know jonas salk and polio and and whatnot well what what if he was a nazi and then i was just reading on the internet here it was like oh yeah some of his some of the basis for his research what did come out of nazi research so like you know sure enough there's a problem so like should we not use the polio vaccine right like but of course the obvious answer is like of course we should use the polio vaccine like that's a no-brainer right Every time you get on American Airlines, just know that jet engine came from a Nazi, you know? Yeah. Well, you did not see that coming. Ew. When you do that. Well, and, you know, actually, uh, Gabe, I think you bring up a good point because, okay, while that's true, maybe someone like Heidegger, uh, you kind of ask, like, really, what, what, what is the effect that he might have had? Are, are his ideas really, um, really not not just fascist but uh you know when when you look at the end of the war with the holocaust and you know the entire world was just in awe and they wonder you know how did we get here uh was it you know heidegger um you know obviously like uh, someone like nietzsche would would have more play although uh you know nietzsche would not have supported what the nazis did but the nazis sure liked him you know maybe they misappropriated certain things from him but uh while, while maybe we don't see a direct result for me, uh, I've, I've been more interested in understanding like where thoughts and ideas come from because there are a lot of things in our culture that are just a given the way that we think about things. And for me, it's uh, you know fascinating and, and I think important to understand uh, you know where, where's the pedigree in these. So you know these ideas do they have uh, you know grand do, do they have parents and grandparents so to speak? You know, so someone like Heidegger, I mean, he's like the father of existentialism, right? You know, so right. I, obviously I, I think he's incredibly influential. Like no one knows who he is. You know, like teenagers or, or even myself. I don't really know that much about him, but his ideas, I, I think I, I bought into a lot uh, and I've probably unknowingly. And, and to me, honestly, that that probably concerns me more uh, just because it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's seen as uh, academic and it's kind of ivory tower. But, you know, eventually those academics, they teach kids and then the kids, you know, start, you know, going out and they teach the kids and, you know, so I, I, th- I think it's a great point. So to understand someone like him, uh, you, you know, may, maybe for, for him specifically, I, I guess I don't know too much uh, about him personally at the end of the war, uh, kind of what his thoughts were like, yep, this is what we wanted. Or if it was probably like most people in Germany saying we had no idea, we did not vote for this, but sh- you know, here we are. Well, and I think, you know, that that's, you, you bring up, I think a couple of interesting things there, like, Number one, there is, and I guess we get to kick out a little bit, but there is a way in which we can think about philosophy in sort of three tiers. Like there is the the academic level of philosophy in which, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, whatever, it's just an ivory tower who really, really cares. But that actually bleeds into the second tier of philosophy, which is really how it ends up being communicated in films and in media and in literature and whatever, and in education. And it actually does get to us in our first tier of our lived experience. And so it, these ideas do actually transmit way more than people think they do. Um, and so you're right, it's it's actually probably more of a concern to, to think about someone like Heidegger than we even realize it is one. And then two, then to bring that to us personally, like none of us sitting here are gonna be like, I'm just a Heideggerian, but all four of us sitting here would say we're Lutherans. And that actually brings up an interesting point with our boy Luther, who like 98% of his ideas, I think are awesome. And then there's this 2% where towards the end of his life, he's super anti-Semitic. And so as we talk about Nazism, for example, like 
they used his stuff to to propagate Nazism in Germany. And and his uh, his anti-Semitic literature was, you know, was terrible. And and so what do we even do with that for those of us that are, I mean, Lutheran pastors or Lutheran parishioners like that's uh, that's actually a real a real concern. That's a real issue. I think we maybe haven't dealt with as appropriately as we should. Well, I think to to add to that, we we also can't overlook the same tension that exists within our own scriptures. Like when you look at the imprecatory Psalms or you look at some of the atrocities that that essentially God commanded his people to to enact or act upon, especially in conquering the promised land and, and those types of things, right? Would we then, right. Would we then sort of, you know, just allocate those or attribute them to then God himself and say, well, then we can just kind of like toss the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like, and I know that no, no, no. God what is you need different... to do is uh, Psalm 137. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You, you throw the infants to the rocks. Come on, Josh. That Get your head head yes. on the rocks. That's I, right. Oh. I have that as I have that as a vinyl print in my office. Really big. <laughs> you know, like all flowery, you know, from, uh, yeah, you know. You, you don't see that yeah. one at Home Goods. Like, yeah. What, what, no. Michael's definitely not. Definitely not. Hobby you know what I mean? Lobby. So I so I think there is like some level of of, of just saying, okay, there, there's a, a, a tolerance, right? But I guess uh, one question when you guys were talking, especially about Heidegger, is – so let's lay his Nazism aside. Okay. Is there anything in his writings themselves that would lend to fascist ideas or even be communicated through that second layer of philosophy into the greater community that would perhaps lead to this like – devolvement into fascist ideas again or into some sort of you know corrupt and and vicious and heinous you know kind of society yeah well to be fair i've only read one work of his now it is his like his sort of uh summa tome his summa yeah it's his being in time is his and i mean i've read being in time there's nothing in being in time that as far as i can tell would lead one to become a fascist or a nazi uh, but I don't know about the rest of his writings, so it's hard for me to, <coughs> excuse me, uh, comment on that. Um, so, but I think that is the question, Josh. And I think that's the concern within philosophic circles is to say like, dude, if this guy's own personal philosophy led him to these horrific things, who's to say that his sort of published philosophy, his official philosophy won't lead us to the same stuff. Um, and so I don't know, I, again, only having read one of his works again, it's his, his, his main one. Um, and I don't see anything in it that, that is questionable ethically. Um, and in fact, it's kind of funny. And th this is a whole interesting facet to this too. And I actually brought this up in my, my class on, on Heidegger, where like some of his critiques seem to run directly against fascism. Like he's very critical of what he calls Das Mann or the, they, which is like this idea of the way society sort of shapes us and forms us and we lose our individuality. I mean, today's point is the father of existentialism. So he's, he's way against this sort of just mass conformity that fascism begets. Uh, and so in some ways it seems like his professional philosophy would run against fascist ideals and yet his personal way of living embodied those. So, I mean, that to me leads into a, a whole nother realm of questions. Well, perhaps, I don't know, like, oh, how do I say this? Perhaps you can get caught up in the tide of, the tide of culture, the tide of a movement, 
such as fascism or, or, you know, the rise of the Nazi empire or whatever, and lay aside, in a sense, like those things that you would otherwise argue against, right? Simply because, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into a Heidegger discussion, but it's almost like if he's critiquing Das Man, do. it's sort of like a self-critique because he got caught up in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And and I think, no, you're right. And I think though, that maybe speaks to Dave's original point in his text is like, what do we, what do we do with the quote unquote products of their time? Because the, here's, here's the stats friends. If the four of us, four white dudes uh, were living in Germany in the late thirties and forties, we would have been complicit. Like just statistically speaking, mm. we would have been complicit. I would have been with bon Aver. I, I would have chosen to be Bon Aver. But see, here's the thing. You wouldn't have. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I, I, mean, I know you're kidding. Like but you wouldn't have. And I wouldn't have either. And I, I'd like to think that I would have been. Um, you know, I'd like to think I would have had his ethical and, and moral framework and been able to, to do what he did. Um, but the, the, statistically speaking, we just would have capitulated. Um and, and so there is something to that to say, okay, so these people capitulated to the crowd, to Dasman, to the they uh, of their time. Like, and, and in some ways, who's to say, and this isn't like N.T. Wright actually makes this point uh, about like, who's to say like a couple generations from now, people are like, can you believe that people drove cars that emitted toxic fuels into the environment and they literally killed their neighbors? Like, like we don't we don't even realize we have so many blinders to our own unethical behavior right now. Right. So let's yeah, so I let's think... break this down even further, right? We've we've been working on this kind of like does this particular action result in the death of millions of people, right? With the whole NASA rocket nuke situation thing. And then we're dealing with this like the Dasman getting caught up in sort of like the cultural wave, but like what I think we need to drill it down to is then our complicity and our captivity then to our own, and I don't want to even call them cultural, but you know what I'm saying? Like most of the people we've been talking about are dealing with very personal sins, right? Murder, mm, yeah. adultery, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, yeah. let's, let's drill that down because that's exactly what, what sin is. It's at the heart of our depravity is we're going to choose something out of selfishness. You know, we're going to choose to get caught up in something that in any other circumstance except for in that moment of desire that we would say, oh yeah, that's totally wrong. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting uh, idea to think of how we're gonna be judged you know, by history or by whoever, a hundred years from now, maybe even 20 years from now. You know, I think um, something like abortion would be a permanent stain uh, in, the, in the coming decades. I, I think people are gonna look back and uh, look at anyone who was pro-abortion with the same way that we view slavery. Now, that may not happen, but uh, I think that that is uh, very possible because there's a lot of similarities to it. And I, right now, thank goodness that it is uh, less popular in public uh, opinion, as well as the amount of abortions done uh, are decreasing. But um, and, and now maybe that's an easy one for me to throw a stone at because uh, I am I am against abortion. But, um, you know, Gabe, to, to your point of uh, driving cars that emitted uh, carbon or uh, even maybe eating meat, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it it yep. could be that this factory farming uh, 50 years from now, 100 years from now might kind of go out and we're all doing the impossible whopper or whatever. And, you know, 
you don't have to Google it yourself, but uh, if you look at some of these uh, factory farms and granite up here in uh, Minnesota, you know, we have people who have chickens who raise, you know, cattle and uh, on and on. And it's just kind of part of life here. But, uh, you know, I guess I'm too much of a city boy because, you know, I don't go around slaughtering chickens or I really don't go around, you know, uh, cutting up the calves and so forth or the, the, the cows. So it, it does kind of raise a question, well, you know, we don't really know what's going to be the what's going to be the new uh, ethos or the new standards a hundred years from now. And so, I guess you know, for for a lot of us, when we look back, to me, I found what's interesting is to find the personal uh, achievements that people have made in that progress. Now, for some of them, it could be too late. Like George Washington, you know, he was against slavery at the end of his life, and he let his slaves go after he died. So, kind of a convenient way to be against slavery, but he at least uh, at some point along the way, you know, recognized, hey, maybe this is wrong uh, and on and on, you know, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, for, for me, or, you know, take the Nazi example, there's a number of, you know, people who over time did what they could. It may not have been a whole lot. It might've just been, you know, trying to give some food uh, over the ghetto wall, you know, to people in there uh, and so forth. But, um, you know, so it's not everything, you know, but but what can one person do? And to me, I, I really look at uh, those who have uh, grown, you know, within that framework, because, yeah, I think, you know, for us, like, we think if we went back to the founding days of America, that we would go right up to George Washington's face and we would say, slavery is wrong and, 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 and you ought to be pro LGBTQ and you got to be pro, you know, all this. And it's like, no, if all of us lived there, we would not be for those modern issues. Yeah. And I think that brings an interesting question, Dej, then, because it, it's, it's, and, and I think for us as Christians in particular of like, you know, so the solution is to say, okay, well, just live to God's ethical standard, right? Just like, just do do what Scripture says, and and then then you can stand up against the tides of time, and you can stand up against whatever is culturally popular, ethically at a given time. And then the struggle comes in to say, like, they're like Puritans were chaplains on slave ships. You know, I mean, they they took the Scripture pretty seriously, uh, and and yet somehow they were ignorant of this particular sin that they were capitulating in. And, and so it's like, how do I know what my blinders are, you know, and, and how do I have an awareness to what my own personal blinders are uh, in the midst of sort of a, a cultural milieu that, that I can't help, but, and actually as a Heideggerian term, uh, be thrown into. And in my thrownness, how do I not, um, how do I find the ethical wherewithal to do what's right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, for me, this is why I believe now, I don't know, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, a lot of listeners uh, to this program might disagree with me on this one. But uh, for me, I think that's why uh, it's important for churches actually to uh, still hold by God's standards for things like marriage and uh, the sexual revolution, uh, as well as things like abortion and other things that are really in vogue right now. But I don't know. Uh it could be the case that, uh, you know, this idea that uh, we're on the right side of history, and that is that in the future, it's going to be uh, certain people's vision of progress is going to become a reality. And so I wonder, you know, 100 years from now, if uh, people are looking around and thinking, how could the church sell out on this, you know, yeah. key doctrinal? Th- it's so there in the Bible, you know, and yet... Um, you know, I don't know. So, so yeah. 
can I raise something to that? Um, is like, I mean, I'm with you on those those issues you brought up there, and the church should you know be firm on those sorts of things. And at the same time, um, you know, like those are particular in in our I'll put it this way in our cultural political conversation right now, those would be deemed as conservative ethical issues to take a stand on, right? Yeah. Uh, I for me, I say, man, who's to say that? I don't know, 10 years from now, people are like, how could the church have not been more pro-racial reconciliation? How could the church have not been more pro-immigrant and refugee, right? And so those are more left-leaning issues. And so I, I think to me... BridgeCityCommunity.com, you can visit yeah, us I, any day of the week. Thank you. Josh, we know you Why couldn't we be more like Josh Woodrow? We'll have a 10-foot a statue of Woodrow in our town square, oh, and then, it'll be Woodrow, Minnesota, the then, whole city named after him. <laughs> But that'd that's be, me as that'd the be thing dope. Is and like, then everything would burn to the ground because I'm just like a walking dumpster fire. You're just got to throw it all is, to the ground. Is I think those are different, you know, das mans. They're different the days that we find ourselves drawn into where, where some, you know, churches, some Christians get really honed in on these two particular conservative social issues and they neglect these these other uh, ethical social issues that, that we're called to. And other churches get really drawn in on these liberal social issues and we're called to those as well. And, and so, you know, you end up in this weird gamble where, and, and again, like, I, I guess I'd also say though, for me, I say like, I don't care about the wrong side of history, man. Like, like Rome fell, you know, like it, it, it all fades. Like the only thing that lasts is the kingdom. I just want to know what, what aspects of the kingdom am I supposed to be pursuing? And how do I know that I'm focused in on the right aspects of it? Because all these things are part of it, like abortion and the poor and the immigrant and the refugee and racial reconciliation, all that's part of the kingdom. And, and so it's like, what's the right ones for us to, to lean into? And, and in one sense, I suppose the obvious answer is yes, all of it. Uh, but then how do you do, how does one do that? Well, oh, I see, I, I think Gabe, the one thing that I've, asked myself or, or an, an interpretive lens that I found leaning on is, you know, it's, it, for me, it's the same thing as like when Paul's talking about the gifts of the spirit, right. Or he's talking about the roles within, you know, the body of Christ. Like you can't be the whole apest all at once. Like you yeah, can't be yeah. an apostle, preacher, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher at the exact same time and be good at any of them then, you know what I mean? And so like on the yeah. one hand we have churches and congregations that are positioned really well contextually and culturally to to fight particular issues and to join in the struggle in those ways. And I think that's the beauty of the body of Christ, right? It's like not just as individuals, but corporately, we're amassing and, and making up this, this thing, you know, this actual sort of, you know, divine and, and physical mashup of the God we worship and then the people we are called to be in the community that, that I, I think it's just an unnecessary pressure, I guess, to say that like we should be okay settling into those particular areas that we're good at, that we're contextually positioned to impact well, and then not try to leverage other congregations to, to simulate exactly what we're doing to advocate for and to be vocal supportive of all issues a hundred percent. But like, do I think that Dej's church in Rice, Minnesota is positioned well to deal with the legacy of racism in the South? Like probably not. 
Hey, we have both kinds up here. We got uh, Norwegians and Swedish people up here. <laughs> We're real diverse. There you go. You guys. Look at, I mean, and that's actually it, right? I mean, that that's the struggle is like Josh in Chattanooga, Tennessee, like uniquely positioned for the work that Josh does of, of racial reconciliation. I, I think then, though, I mean, my question, though, is for a church like, say, a, a church like Dedges, where it's like, it's rural, right? I mean, rural Minnesota. Totally. Okay. Um, but it, we do have does... indoor plumbing. So hey, really we got proud that. of you, buddy. Yep. Really proud of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, so in rural Minnesota, they can't not care about those issues as being part of this country. But what's the way in which they care about those issues? What's the way in which that's a priority for them? Ah, see, to me, that's the word right there, right? Is priority. Um, yeah. Is that like I'm, I I wholeheartedly agree with with all the how did you describe it, Gabe? Conservative moral ethics or whatever that Dage yeah. or that Dej, um you know mentioned earlier. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna support that. I'm gonna advocate for that. I'm gonna be vocal about it. But it's not my top priority contextually. I think where the where the shortfall is is we as a collective body. At least I'll speak for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, since that's the tribe of which we are a part of. I don't think we actually would even acknowledge that some of these things are on equal footing as just kingdom yeah. values. Yeah. And that's the trouble. Yeah. That's that's a good shout. That's a good shout. Well, well you I, know, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tom. I know as the only non-pastor of the group, I also think that our church is very scared to to go after any of these things uh tom have you not seen the march for life where the yeah it's the one it's the one reverend thing. harrison makes a personal appearance at the front of the parade yes you're just, you're just jealous of this mustache admit it, it is he, he does have a admit it mustache. it's so bushy and glorious your honor so oh, but but our church our, our church is afraid except for yours, Josh, to talk about racial reconciliation. We're afraid to talk about LGBTQ uh, issues. You know, the list goes on and on. And so then then we, I, to me, we start getting into this complicit, com- back into the complicit conversation. Um, but I also do see, I, I and I absolutely agree with the prioritization piece, that we, we can't all go after every single thing. Yeah. Dad, you were going to say something. Oh, uh, well, so up here uh, in the St. Cloud area, we're, we're just a little north of St. Cloud. We have uh, a lot of immigrants from Somalia. And uh, so this is kind of an interesting place because while it's true that Minnesotans are incredibly white and very pale at that, uh, like Gabe, you know, you and all your peakness might actually be a little you know, darker complexion of some hey, up right. here. So yeah, you, you get that going for <laughs> that you. That is wow. saying a yeah. lot. I know. Yeah. T- what about Tom? Hey, Dej? Yeah. Wait, Dej, now that you can see Tom's uh, complexion, Bro, where does it's Tom like an albino. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, Tom, although, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty white. Uh, he is. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, Gabe, Gabe is pink. Like, Gabe is straight up albino. Like, red eyes. I think just you know, oh, so, geez. yeah. Oh and, uh, but anyway. <laughs> so, so. So uh, up here in Minnesota, you know, and, and there are other communities like this. Uh, earlier, I lived in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and we had a lot of uh, African immigrants. You know, here, admittedly, that there are some barriers, language barrier, culture, uh, religion, 
and uh, you know, among other, you know, very strong social uh, reinforcements of like uh, things talk like like when women would talk to men or or vice versa, you know, things that you you and I may not have, but uh, certainly do exist. So you know, that is uh, most certainly a, a different kind of issue because you know here it's not just skin color, but it's also religion. And, and culture as well, but it's something that uh, communities like ours uh, are having to deal with. So, you know, it's uh, something that, that that we have to deal with. You know, I unless something ha somebody has something really poignant to say, I, I kind of want to put a bow on this. Yeah, because I think the word prioritization is really sticking out to me. Because going back to our first episode um, where we were talking about about different about different artists and things who have done things, but our prioritization might be, I just really want to listen to good music. And I, I, I don't necessarily prioritize what they did in their life over, over the art. Right. We started this episode talking about America prioritizing uh, the race to space over someone's history and or ideals or whatever it happens to be. Right. Um, and so I, when the both all, Everything we've talked about, both of these episodes have been about this moral line or whatever, and whatever we prioritize. We prioritize the work that Martin Luther King Jr. did over his indiscretions in his personal life. And so I think like our last episode, I think it comes down to it's a gray area. It's a prior, it's a personal prioritization of what we find important and what we want to stand up for or not when it comes to art work the people that we interact with and and how we look at things i i suppose i would like to i suppose i would like to maybe leave this up to the listeners then cuz i i do have a question as far as like i'd be curious to know what that what that indiscretionary line is you know what i mean like cuz it could be it i mean it could be across the entire spectrum like, are there what, those big things? Like, what do you like, mean? I'm, what do you mean by that? So I'm thinking like, like I'm thinking from a, a later in history, looking back on it, hindsight is 2020 thing. Like it was still pretty jacked up to hire a former Nazi rocket scientist to lead NASA, just like on an ethical level. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, okay. So to your point, Gabe, like we saved a bunch of lives, right? So it's like you've got that from from this mass scale to then remix ignition and R. Kelly scale. But are there things that we can come together on and agree on as actual standards or or actionable, you know, um, lines and that kind of thing instead of just completely leaving it up loosey goosey to like, well, it's up to individual indiscretion because that's just like American individualism at its worst, I feel like. I know, but we do we do it in our church. We have, you know, we've been talking about Lutheranism here, and particular LCMS Lutheran. But we have LCMS Lutherans who are very anti-LGBTQ, and then we have ELCA Lutherans who are very pro that. And we both call ourselves Lutherans, right? And so, whatever it is you think it is, whatever whatever side you line up on, that's good, right? No, I know. So that's my question. I'd be really yeah, curious to see from our listeners who can text us at six one two two zero eight six two five eight. Are, are there things that we should be able to or that we must come together on or are we to simply leave it up to just individual indiscretion? I think we 
I mean, in one sense, like what choice do we have? It sure seems to be that it's just kind of up to individual, you know, discretion, like individual discretion is okay at times. I think, especially in the Christian world, we, we really kind of get on our horse about that. Like it leads to all things evil. Yeah. I mean, there. you're right. There's a place in which it's like, it's okay. I think though, the other thing that like, so because the, the general rules say like in American discourse is to say, leave it up to individual discretion unless it harms someone else. Right. Like that's, that's like the general rule. That's kind of the rule of, uh, liberalism in the in the broad sense. I don't mean that the left side of the aisle. I mean that liberalism in yeah. the way that we all. John Stuart right? Mill. Yeah, John Stuart Mill's liberalism. Thank you. Um, like that's how that works. Is is like um, you know, do whatever your deal is as long as you don't hurt someone. The question then becomes, what hurts someone? You know, like that's well, that's, that's up the, to you. That's stupid. Yeah, like, that that's is. a dumb that, standard. That's why I'm really curious because like what is the what is the collective hurt that the individual actually wants to weigh in on, I suppose. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. What's the collective that's that's ooh. Thank you. you. Man, you write that in a whoop, book, whoop, Jack. Whoop, whoop. What's the collective hurt that the individual wants? Because like, I mean, I don't know. I just pulled up on Spotify, my boy R. Kelly. I shouldn't call my boy. Forgive me for that. Uh, <laughs> R. Kelly. Robert. That Robert. was the accident. Oh Robert yikes. Kelly. Gabe, oh um, man. Sorry, that was a misspeak. Uh, he's not my boy. Uh, I've canceled him. I've not listened to Remix Ignition in years. Um, you do not fly. You do not fly. I do not you know, fly. You do Although not believe silly. you can fly. Yes. I did just introduce my kids to Space Jam, and uh, that song's on there. And Dude, oh, man, that had hey, R. Kelly. Oh, my gosh. Not, not a total tangent, but definitely a total tangent. Talk about introducing your kids to the movies we watched in our youths. They're so bad. Like, and I'm not talking yeah. quality. I'm talking just like so, yeah. mor- moral social commentary. I'm like, oh, these are uh, awful. Oh, yeah. Josh, how dare you? I know. Tell yeah. me about it. I should only yeah. be playing Veggie Tales and Adventures in Odyssey. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Sorry, Tom. I just thought it was okay. Whatever. You no, know, it's, it's, see, this is the like, dumpster fire of Josh Woodrow. No. I come up with a really genius question or statement, and <sighs> then I'm talking about Adventures in Odyssey. I'm, I'm Dude, a failure. Level. That is so good, though. It is so good. Here's the deal. R. Kelly still has 4,647,734 monthly listeners on Spotify. Mm-hmm. So that's 4 million people that are listening to a guy who horrifically assaulted several women. Underage women. And, and it's to say, as a society, are we cool with that? Underage, yeah, exactly. I mean, horrible. And as a society, we've said it's okay. You can still use this stuff. Like, yeah, I, it's it's tough because, I, but but I, and I'm willing to bet all four point however many million people are willing to stand up and say the Michigan State University doctor for USA gymnastics who did all those horrible things to gymnasts is a most awful heinous human being and should get what he deserves. Tom, I'd be willing to bet that most of those 4 million listeners would say the exact same thing about R Kelly and then hit play on remix. ignition. Well, I know. Right. And, 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 And that brings us, and that brings us right back to the beginning of this conversation about, about the art versus the artist. Josh, you're absolutely right. 
we'd love to hear from the listeners on on where that line is because we've done absolutely nothing for you our listeners we started the conversation two episodes ago and now we've brought us to the exact same i just want to point out that i have not helped at all and i've only just made things (laughs) yeah you know what thanks a lot you know i just really am putting that out right bring you on here yeah oh man you're supposed to solve all of our problems answer all our questions dej come on oh yeah Mm. all right Good listener, we are grateful for you. Uh, we love producing this stuff. We hope this is helpful for you as you are in whatever sort of quarantine you're in right now. Uh, we may be uh, releasing some B-sides and producing some extra stuff uh, to just, I don't know, give you something to listen to while you're holed up in your house or your apartment or wherever you happen to live. Um, but we do thank you for being with us. We are grateful for your support. We, we love this conversation with you all. And I also want to give a quick thanks to our friend, Dej. Dej, thanks for being with us today, Yes, Dej. Uh, Thank wow. you. My privilege. Oh, man. Dude, wow. you know what? Josh and I have been texting secretly on the side saying that you sound more Minnesotan. But right there, Texas came out. Texas you know, came out. It, it once, really did. You know, it sure does. You can, take, <laughs> you can take the boy out of Texas, but you can't take the Texas out of the boy. Hey, you know what there you should is. take out of the state of Minnesota? Hot dish. Oh yeah. Okay. Except they're casseroles. So I don't know what's up Preach with that. Preach that homie. You know? They are casseroles till I die. Which is the yeah. same and, and also are. equally worse. Delicious. Okay. Casseroles hot. Josh, you're wrong yeah. on this. You're so Pink, wrong on this. Yeah. You don't understand. Our listenership is predominantly Midwestern. They're going to crush you, baby. Right. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. fine, listeners. 612-208-6258. Explain to me the legitimate difference between hot dish and casserole. No, 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 no. There's there no, is no difference. difference. No, no, no. We That's, all agree on that. Oh, then wait. wait awesome. What am I going to get? We, we want you to text in and tell Josh how wrong he is. The ca- casserole slash hot dish is delicious. Okay, wait. Amen. Hold on. Hold on real quick. And, I know, and I'm saying this knowing full well that one of our greatest listeners and also an active text in your questioner happens to be, uh, or I don't know if she still is, but her family was a member at my vicarage congregation. And so... Erica, if you're listening, I hope you were there for this, but I can't remember if you were. When I was on Vicarage, uh, the fellowship, you know, parish fellowship or church fellowship committee wanted to do this, uh, you know, bring your secret family recipe. All right. And so everyone in the church was invited to cook their famous secret family recipe and then bring it into the fellowship hall. And we were all going to sit there and just kind of eat together. Right. So I walk across the lawn from the little house I'm living in on the campus of the church and I walk into the fellowship hall and what lie before me like 12 hot dish sitting on the table and I kid you not although the ingredient cards read different things they all looked identical they were all the color of gray and I refused to eat any of it so once again good listener if you want to try to convince me that hot dish or casserole or whatever pile of pig slop that you want to call it is good, then text in your response to 612-208-6258. I welcome it. I embrace it. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. And with that, we love you all. PGP is out. Dedge!